is James chapter 5. Come now, you rich people, weep and wail for the miseries that are coming to you. Your riches have rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have rusted and their rust will be evidence against you and it will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure during the last days. Listen, the wages of the, of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in pleasure. You have nourished your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous one who does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Brothers and sisters, do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the doors. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Indeed, we call blessed those who have showed endurance. You have heard of the endurance of Job, and you have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about, for the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Above all, brothers and sisters, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth yielded its harvest. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The word of the Lord. Of all the things that God calls us to do in our lives, <clears throat> none is more important or more difficult than the call to wait. Let's pray. 
Gracious God, once again, we have come to place our lives in front of your open word. No mortal words will do, so send your Holy Spirit to speak to us in the deepest and most protected corners of our hearts and transform us according to the word made flesh, in whose name we pray, amen. I don't think I really need to make the case that we spend a lot of time in our lives waiting. You know, this is Mother's Day, and uh, we're reminded that it takes about nine months before our lungs are even ready to breathe fresh air as we are in the womb. And as life begins, so it continues. I think everybody in this room is waiting for something. Some are waiting to see what happens in a relationship or with their children, or whether they will be able to have children. Others are waiting to see what happens at work or if they will ever find a job that will be meaningful and enjoyable for them. Still others are waiting to see what happens with their health. Some are waiting to see if they will survive their diseases. Maybe the hardest waiting is waiting upon God. We know the promises of Scripture. We've claimed these promises as our own. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Call unto me, and I will answer you, and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. Jeremiah 33. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Jeremiah 29. All things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Maybe you've taken one of these promises to heart, and now you're waiting upon the Lord to fulfill this promise. So how do we survive the wait? How do we make it so that it's not just wasted time? Well, James deals with this in our text today, a quite a uh, fire hose of a text today in our last chapter in the book of James. And he looks at it in a variety of different ways. It begins with James stepping into the role of the prophet, the tradition of the prophets, to offer this stark rebuke to the bougie folks who in their apathetic materialism ignore the poor and take advantage of every opportunity they can to get ahead even at the cost of others. James writes this, Listen, the wages of the laborers who mowed your lawns, who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. We remember Moses in the burning bush and God saying, The cries of the Israelites who are enslaved in Egypt have reached my ears. They have come to me and I'm going to respond. This is James stepping into the role of the prophets. The prophets were known to call for justice in light of a God of justice, in light of a God of all children. One of the reasons the prophets and Jesus are so hard on the rich, especially the deceitful and the corrupt wealthy, is not because they happen to have a lot of money, but because the pursuit of luxury, especially in this regard, shows an inability or an, and an unwillingness to wait on the Lord for daily provision. 
especially in circumstances where the poor are harmed by the rich. For the Hebrew people, their, their uh, defining story is that in the wilderness, when God provided them daily manna, the worst thing they could have done would, have, would be to try to hoard it and to store up more for the future. No, one day at a time, you need to rely on the daily provision of God. And that's what we pray in, uh, in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught us to pray along in the same way. Not give us today our investments secured for our future, but give us today our daily bread. Just enough for today so that we will trust you tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. There's a beautiful prayer by uh, theologian Walter Brueggemann that I love. I'd like to share it with you. He prayed this, we are among the builders. We do silos and missile silos. We do tall towers and large granaries. We do pyramids and monuments and steeples and high rises. We build because we are able, because it looks good, because it feels good, because we have so much stuff to store, we need bigger, better barns. We make it tall and shiny and beautiful, only to discover that moth and rust consume, only to discover that shiny surface turns empty shell, only to discover that storage is for goods that melt and sour. We end closer to empty-handed than we imagined. As we are able, we turn from our cities to you, O God. We turn from our successes to you. We turn from our reason to you. We turn from our power to you, to you, to you, to you, to you. Our help is in no other save in you alone. You only, you enough. You in your generosity, whom have we in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that we desire other than you. Hear our trust and our thanks and our readiness to obey. So we learn to wait on God's provision. All right, James then goes on to talk about waiting as a holding on to the promise of God in the face of persecution or suffering and simply wondering in the midst of this suffering as a person of faith, what am I supposed to do now? James writes this, Be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. You've heard the Buddhist axiom, don't just do something, sit there. Well, that's kind of what James is getting at here. The word that is translated be patient or patient is a very interesting word. It's a combined word. The word is macrothumeo, macrothumeo. Thumos means passion or rage, and macro means far or a distance away from. So literally, it means far from passionate rage. It's the word that basically means mellow or tranquil. Um, or even keeled. Paul uses this word in 1 Corinthians 13 when he describes agape love. Love is patient. Love is macrothumeo. It's mellow. It's contented. It's relaxed. 
It's at rest. James is counseling his readers to be patient like the farmer waits for the growing season because he knows that the plants will grow if given a chance with the early rain. And this becomes for us an image of the restful side of our faith. There's a kind of waiting that isn't restless or anxious or irritable, but relaxed and content, tranquil in the waiting. A faith that hopes in the promise of God is a faith that knows how to relax as much as it knows how to work. Last week, Pastor Breed drew from the early church father, St. Augustine, St. Augustine of Hippo, and the problem of disordered loves. She mentioned the, the uh, ordering of loves, that we love God first, and out of that priority, then we are able to love others and ourselves appropriately. Well, with that same theme in mind, when we, when we have our loves in their proper order, we also find ourselves in an appropriate rhythm of work and rest, work, activity, and waiting. Augustine says this, O God who is ever at work and ever at rest, may I be ever at work and ever at rest. So now James, remember, James is the prophet of action, right? Faith without works is dead, James said earlier. Now James becomes the prophet of confident faith, and how to relax and, and to wait for plants to grow in their own time. These two prophetic challenges go together and they're really important to nurture the, the symbiotic relationship between faith and work or between contemplation and action. They go together to produce whole and healthy Christian living and behavior. Because contemplation, or you could say faith, without action is mere theory. But action without faith or contemplation produces a kind of anxiety about our ethical involvement that isn't really Christian either because it lacks the confidence that God is going to complete his project in God's time. So James understands that the real secret uh, to our relevance in the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the real source of, for, of power for the Christian is not what we have and what we show, but a steady result of confidence that Jesus Christ is the one who's making all things new. We typically think about patience as going slow, but really the heart of patience is about letting go of control. The situation where patience burns so fiercely like when we're stranded in the airport or when we're stuck in traffic or hurting small children out the door. Those moments when our, our, when our lack of control confronts us most directly. To be patient is to accept that reality. Trusting in a divine agent, God's own spirit is right in the middle of that chaos, whatever it might be, and that frustration, transforming it into one of possibility. It's difficult to be open to God's agency and movement, and the movement of the Spirit when we're focused on wrestling back control. 
One of the things that Presbyterian pastors in training um, learn early on when we have to go through our clinical pastoral education in a hospital setting, one of the first things that we learn is that when we walk into a room, a hospital room, we have to make rounds and people we don't know. We walk into a room and there are people in the, in the room. One of the first things we learn is that we are completely out of control. But if we can, um, if, if we can um, receive this as a gift and practice faithful out of controlness, then others we find can relinquish their own control and their own agendas and we can find a shared openness to God's spirit in that space. I love this poem by Hafiz, a 12th century Sufi mystic. He said this, what is the difference between your experience of existence, and that's a capital E, so you can read God there. What is, your, what is the difference between your experience of existence and that of a saint? The saint knows that the spiritual path is a sublime chess game with God. And that the beloved has just made such a fantastic move that the saint is now continually tripping over joy and bursting out in laughter and saying, I surrender. Whereas, my dear, I'm afraid you still think you have a thousand serious moves. We don't got to beat God at God's own game. We surrender to the master and we find ourselves in the flow of God, in a dance with God. Then he furthers this idea, James does, and suggests that this hope we have is so durable, this faith is so durable that even in the face of suffering and when our faith is being tested, it has the capacity to endure because of the object of our faith, Jesus Christ endured the cross. And so we should trust that. He writes this, As an example of suffering and patience, beloved, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Indeed, we call blessed those who showed endurance. You have heard of the endurance of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The prophets showed endurance. He also describes Elijah and his faithfulness in prayer. The Greek word for endurance or perseverance, um, sometimes it's translated, is one of my favorite words in the New Testament, and the word is hupomeno, hupomeno. Sometimes translated perseverance, we see it in various places in the New Testament, um, like for example in a popular um, passage in Hebrews chapter 12, where the writer is encouraging the readers to run the race of faith with perseverance, with hupomeno, to run the race with hupomeno. Hupomeno is a compound word with two parts. Upo means underneath, and meno means to remain or to stay or to abide. When Jesus says, abide in me in John 15, that's meno. Upomeno means to remain underneath. That's what it literally means. I remember um, when I was in college studying abroad in Egypt and uh, we were in the desert and I saw a Bedouin leading a camel train like you do. 
and uh, I was impressed by the luggage on the backs of these camels and how they were able to remain underneath all that weight, all that luggage. That's Ubo Meno, these camels. Um, if you've ever seen in the bodybuilding competition in the Olympics, these uh, women and men lift a barbell with sometimes over 500 pounds. This is Phil Grappaldi, known as Grappaldi the Great. Um, and uh, being able to remain underneath all that weight, all that pressure, that's hupomeno, that strength to endure underneath that weight. I will persevere, I can hang in there, I will not collapse. And that's what the text is calling us to do. Our faith is often tested, and we sometimes feel like collapsing. James is saying, keep going, hang in there, remain under the pressure. It will hold up, it's durable. William Barclay, a great uh, theologian of the last century, he said, upomeno is one of the noblest of New Testament words. It's not patience which can sit down and bow its head and let things descend upon it passively and passively endure until the storm is past. No, it's the spirit which can bear things, not simply with resignation, but with blazing hope. It's the spirit which bears things because it knows that these things are leading to a goal, a goal of glory. It's not the patience which grimly waits for the end, but the patience which radiantly hopes for the dawn. Philosopher Philo called Upomeno the queen of virtues. Okay, here's a Mother's Day story for you. Um, Several years, I guess it's been 10 years ago now, um, one evening I was sitting, I was having a meal by myself at Rubio's um, Mexican, Fresh Mexican Grill. It's one of those, you know, fast, casual, California, Mexican, Baja things. And, um, and I was enjoying having this meal by myself because I had a very busy day with lots of meetings and all of this, and I was taking a little break before the evening meeting. Um, we had session that night, and I was very happy to have this meal by myself. And right next to me, in a corner uh, table like that, um, was a family. A family of five. There was mo mother and dad who were there, and uh, they both were dressed pretty nice. They were probably in their mid-30s, just gotten off of work. And in between them was a car seat with a baby maybe six months old. Um, and then there were two other kids, maybe four and maybe six years old, and you don't know where they were sitting because they were running all over the restaurant. It was, it was total chaos, and, and mom and dad, dad was trying to discipline the kids get back over here and one of them runs over and uh, and and you know kind of punches the little baby and he starts screaming and then the other one runs around the table and dad tries to grab him and he knocks over the lemonade and then uh, and I'm just sitting there watching this whole thing it's wonderful experience for me and um, and it's total chaos going on and and finally the dad says all right it's time to go as soon as he says that, the, the two bo older boys go 
darting out the restaurant and into the parking lot. And dad goes, hey, wait, wait. And he grabs the car seat and he goes running out and he opens the door with his hip and, and he runs out into the parking lot and mom has her tote bag and she just starts shoveling things into the tote bag. Crayons, toys, tacos, you name it. And, uh, and the whole thing is just a disaster. And, um, and before she leaves and I can see the stress going on in her face and the dad's face and they're grinning and bearing it sort of and, and I stand up and I say you know I just want you to know I, I've, I've seen your experience and, um, and I know exactly what you're going through I have three kids too and she goes oh you're enjoying this right now <laughs> and I go actually yeah I am this is great this is just wonderful um, entertainment for me and and I was enjoying it, I realized that I was enjoying it, not only because I didn't have to deal with it in that moment, I was also enjoying it because I was finding such delight in these parents who are expressing hupomeno, who are running the race of parenting with hupomeno, enduring this chaos. Why? For the joy, the goal of these children are one day going to grow up and they're going to be no longer rugrats but contributors to a world and to a better place. And they can endure that for that goal that, uh, that they're holding out for. James encourages us to endure in our faith in the face of everything that challenges it holding on to the joy of our liberation and the goal of when Christ returns. All right, finally, James says something that uh, uh, has been very important to the church over the centuries. Above all, my beloved, he says, don't swear by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. Again, this call to integrity and truth-telling um, once again is a call to wait because underneath it is the temptation to control other people, situations, or certain narratives or our options with our words. And what could be, even if it's not true, what could be more of an accurate description of the work of Satan in the Bible than the one who deceives and tells lies? James says, just tell the truth and let the chips fall where they may. Um, better to keep your integrity and lose your reputation or your personal time or your money or whatever than to lose your soul. That's a key mark of the way of Jesus. And of course, we've lost this in our society. We cannot trust our media to tell the truth without a hidden agenda obscuring the narrative. All right, James then goes on to tell us, and you can see I'm trying to get through a lot of material in a little bit of time. What we are to do while we wait. What should we do while we wait? Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are, you among you, are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. This is what Christians do while we wait. Jesus said the Son of Man will come like a thief in the night, so be ready. How do we ready ourselves? We bring our hopes, our concerns, our joys, our fears, our anxieties, our thanksgivings to God, and we do that within the context of our community of faith, our, fam our worshiping family. These are the rituals and the practices that nurture and keep faith alive and sustain us in the wait. Um, 
And then he says the same thing about confessing our sins and the importance of confessing to one another because doing so is about letting go of the past and trusting in God's forgiveness. Finally, James concludes his letter by encouraging the readers to restore those who have left the community. This is about letting go of control of the community. Betrayal is one of the worst things that someone can do to a relationship and to a community. This is why the gospel writers are so harsh on Judas. James is saying, let that go. Bringing them back will cover a multitude of sins. Make sure that your community is a community of grace and healing. And this is one of the things that I love the most about this church, Mount Olympus Presbyterian Church. This is a community of grace and healing. I need grace. I need healing. And we're all just beggars trying to show other beggars where to find bread. And so instead of a relentless pursuit of luxury, we trust in God's daily provision. Instead of throwing in the towel in the wake of the pain of our suffering, we wait on God's promise. Instead of fabricating stories to maintain control, we trust in God's truth to prevail. Instead of controlling our time with endless activity and anxiety, we enter God's rhythm of work and rest. And instead of controlling our community with exclusion and judgment, we welcome all, knowing that the true judge is also the merciful and compassionate one. Here's one more poem, and I'll end. This one's by Rumi. He writes, When I run after what I think I want, my days are a furnace of distress and anxiety. If I sit in my own place of patience, what I need flows to me, and without any pain. From this I understand that what I want also wants me and is looking for me and attracting me. There's a great secret in this for all who can grasp it. God, we thank you that even as we stop and sit in patience, we discover that what we really want is you and how grateful we are that you want us and are attracting us to yourself. So as Bree reminded us last week, may we draw near to you as you have drawn near to us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.